Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, now that the vote is over, the provincial parties are stepping up their preparations for next spring's campaign here in Ontario. What does the federal election result mean for Doug Ford and Ontario politics? Well, we'll delve into that. Former CHCH TV reporter Lisa Hefner has become the new MP for Hamilton Mountain. She joins us on the show to talk about her victory and her plans going forward. And a parent-led rapid COVID-19 testing program in a Toronto school has sparked interest right around the country. We'll talk with one of those parents. It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Still uh, going over the results of the federal election and the impact that that election is going to have. And as uh, we've been hearing for the last couple of days now, the speculation is rampant about what happened on Monday and how it's going to impact uh, some other elections, including the one that's going to be held here in Ontario uh, in, uh, well, the early spring, I guess, of, uh, of next year. And, uh, you know, the idea here is that, well, you know, is, is Doug Ford's future going to be tied to the way that the Conservatives uh, performed or some would say underperformed in this federal election? Uh, it's interesting uh, because... There has to be a relationship between the federal government and provincial governments. And yesterday, for the first time in many, many weeks, uh, the Premier made a public appearance essentially to talk about the proof of vaccination program. But uh, other uh, questions came up, too, including his relationship with uh, the Prime Minister, uh, who Justin Trudeau, of course, who has retained his job. And this is what the Premier had to say. You know, there, there's a lot of people in Ontario that supported the Prime Minister. And now it's time for the Prime Minister. He made a lot of promises to support the people of Ontario. And make no mistake about it, I'm going to be right on the right in, right in the front line of making sure that uh, all those promises uh, he's committed to, uh, he fulfills them. And I'm going to work with him collaboratively in, in, a, in a good way. Not a bad way, but a good way. Uh, but my number one priority over anything is protecting the people of Ontario, making sure that uh, their interest uh, comes first. Well, there's some concern about that, uh, both those relationships. Uh, it was, uh, well, rather acrimonious, I guess, when Doug Ford became the premier at first. They seem to have forged at least a working relationship. But is this going to impact the way that we vote in the provincial election? Do the numbers that we saw federally translate into numbers provincially? Uh, interesting debate and interesting discussion. Uh, let's bring Muhammad Ali into the conversation. Muhammad is a senior consultant with Crestview Strategy, of course. Uh, Muhammad, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for the time today. Good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, just wondering about the impact that this is going to have. And more than a couple of reporters yesterday uh, seemed to be quizzing the Premier about his relationship with the federal government, his relationship with Justin Trudeau, and uh, and, and it's speculating, I guess, to a certain extent, Mohammed, about, you know, when you look at the numbers here, how well the Liberals did, for instance, in the 416 and 905, does that translate into Liberal votes in the provincial election? I, I, can Can you make a connection there, or is that rather tenuous? I think it's a little early to, to be able to make that direct connection. Of the, as, as we both know, uh, historically speaking, when whoever's uh, in Ottawa and whoever's in Queensburg are usually the opposite. So it's either liberal conservative, conservative liberal. Um, and so I, you know, it kind of have a bit of the advantage here for Ford uh, in terms of a re-election look, outlook. But I think it, what this what this election kind of gave a clear message was: a, you need a clear message on mandatory vaccines. Uh, you saw Doug Ford come out early today, or sorry, yesterday, saying every candidate needs to be vaccinated because how can we tell Canadians to get vaccinated, but then I'm not mandating it for my own candidates who will be engaging with these voters from a safety perspective, right? So I think that was a very good move for him to do to get out, get that out of the way because that dog, Aaron O'Toole, throughout the campaign, and an issue that was important in the 905 and 416, which were the hot, hot spots uh, of, of basically every wave so far. Uh, in Canada. So I think that was smart for him to do, uh, you know, choosing a very conciliatory tone with uh, the Prime Minister. Like, we, as we've talked about before, he's worked pretty well throughout this pandemic with the Prime Minister and with the Deputy Prime Minister, Christopher Freeland, and I suspect that relationship is going to continue. He's, he saw that childcare was a very important issue for a lot of the voters, particularly, again, in the GTA. He, he right, First message was like, I want to get a deal done with uh, with the federal government on the childcare agreement. So these are two good early moves by the by the premier to lay it out saying look let's get this done i don't want his dogging us later on uh, because he is thinking about re-election and i think if he can uh, hit the right note and get the right policies in place that dogged aaron o'toole i think he'll be in a, in a strong position let's talk about that strategy because i noticed that as well and i'm sure many others did uh doug ford made a point of, of when the election was called to say i'm not getting involved as a matter of fact we found out from some of our uh, reporters at queen's park that he basically told all of his cabinet members in his caucus don't you get involved either 
to many people, we've talked about this in the past, Mohammed, but a conservative is a conservative, a liberal is a liberal. Uh, but there are huge differences between provincial and federal parties. And, and uh, I think the premier tried to draw that distinction immediately, simply saying, I'm not Aaron O'Toole, uh, which is rather an interesting strategy. Yeah, I think uh, he, he different. I mean, it's smart to distance yourself from, from the party. I mean, you know, there's a bit of calculation that go on. You know, sometimes you'll see uh, both the federal and the Ontario party kind of intermingle more. Obviously, staff move between the parties, so they're very close in that in that sense. Uh, but they also make a calculation. Is this going to hurt my my opportunities in the future? As you saw in the election, Aaron O'Toole's uh, very close association with Jason Kenney uh, backfired quite a bit on him, especially in the, in the, in the dying days of the campaign where, you know, he had complimented Jason Kenny for his COVID response. And look at what's happening in Alberta. They're suffering uh, with at a very high COVID surge. Uh, whereas the premier here, you know, he's not tied to Aaron O'Toole. So he can at least, you know, step back saying, look, I wasn't involved. I let, you know, let them duke it out. Uh, and now I'm here to work with whoever's in, in Ottawa, which is the prime minister being uh, Justin Trudeau again. Uh, so I think it was smart for him to kind of keep himself balanced, you know, not get too involved see where the tea leaves fall, and, and now they can assess properly. They don't have, they can see that what worked, what didn't work. And because if he got involved, he may have a harder time assessing, you know, was it a factor of me? Was it a factor of Aaron O'Toole or the policies or what? Well, because we saw that in, in previous elections, didn't we? I mean, you know, to, to go back to 2019, the, the, the last federal election before the one we just had here, uh, there was a, a huge distinction. Andrew Scheer was the leader of the federal party at that time, uh, and he although it was never overtly talking about this, but it was pretty clear that he didn't want to have anything to do with Doug Ford here in Ontario. Uh, and if you go back to those days, uh, being, you know, Ford was not a very popular premier for a whole lot of reasons. He had, I think, one of the lowest approval ratings, if not the lowest in the whole country when it came to uh, the approval ratings for all the premiers. Uh, and Sheer just figured, okay, this guy's kryptonite. I don't want to be anywhere near him. Uh, on the other hand, is it, you know, the other side of that coin, though, is if you've got a, a political leader who's riding high in popularity, do you try to grab onto those coattails and simply say, hey, I want to be seen with, I want to be associated with, even, you know, it may be a different party, but you want to be, I guess, with a winner, because uh, and, and you're hoping some of that will rub off. It's, it's an interesting strategy, but you've got to be very, very careful, I guess, about, who, you know, whose side you're going to pick here. Yeah, you definitely have to be very careful because, again, as I mentioned, like, you know, if you, you know, if you're associated closely with uh, another leader, of, uh, you know, at a provincial level or federal, whatever, which way it goes, um, you're going to get, a, you know, uh, analyzed based upon your association. If you believe that person is doing a great job uh, and they are pulling well, uh, and they are, you know, largely doing a pretty stable job and in, in, as premier or prime minister, whichever it is, then it helps you uh, because it says, look, you know, they understand and I work well with them. You want someone who can work well with them, give, you know, elect us. Right. And, but when it, when it goes sour, you're going to have to, you know, take on some of that baggage. And often you will have to, you know, you know, you're met, you get thrown off message, you know, you can't really, you know, hit, you know, uh, you can use them as an asset for, for engaging with certain uh, demographics that are important. So there's a, a lot of the calculation that go on to it, but it's important also, you know, from this kind of election, you saw like the 905 uh, and, and, and 416 that Aaron O'Toole lost vote share. He was a GTA guy and he lost vote share mm -hmm. um, and compared to Andrew Scheer. So, you know, I think he's going to be, you know, Doug Ford's going to look at it saying, well, who do I associate with that can ensure that people in the GTA still see me as a viable, strong leader for re-election? And I think that's where those, you know, even you're looking at mayors uh, throughout the cities, you know, uh, whether it's in a Markham or in a Brampton or a Toronto, whatever it may be that have a ton of votes, but critical votes to swing election. Uh, you know, you start seeing some of those kind of relations build up saying, I can work with them. Oh, I'm really good friends with them kind of thing. Well, I mean, the numbers don't lie here. Uh, I mean, across Ontario, the Liberals won or are leading in 77 seats, the Conservatives in 37, and the NDP in five. I guess behoove anybody that wants to be premier, including Doug Ford, uh, to say, look, we've got to pay attention to that. You know, whether you like Justin Trudeau or the Liberal band or whatever, uh, voters by an overwhelming margin here in Ontario anyway, uh, selected Liberals. And uh, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's necessarily going to translate in, in provincial votes for any of those three parties. But it does indicate that, you know, I think the people of Ontario are saying, look, this is a, the team we want in Ottawa. Uh, you show us that you can work with this guy because that's what we're looking for here is collaboration. Yeah, and I think, 
you know, a key thing that I kind of observed from this is you can't take the electorate for granted. Um, you know, Justin Trudeau called an early election. Uh, they were off message early on as well. Uh, obviously, there's a couple of things that are going on. But the, the, the message around, uh, you know, why is this election happening right now? Uh, why are you, you know, what, what are you doing for us? Because you can't assume that just because you did a good job uh, in the pandemic, that that would entail you to win re-election. Um, you need to have a plan of like, hey, this is what I'm going to continue to deliver. This is why it's important to keep us going. And I think Doug Ford kind of and his team are looking at that saying, okay, you know, we had a not so great uh, or poor performance in the pandemic. We're going to try and ensure that we work on the economic recovery, trying to get, you know, Ontarians feeling normal again. But what are we going to deliver next? And I think that's a question that they need to see because voters are demanding that. If there's no compelling message and other parties are like, well, look at us. You know, we we have this idea. We have that idea. We want to talk about this. We want to tackle this issue. And we saw that in Nova Scotia where uh, even the governing liberals were pulling well and all of a sudden they lost because they didn't have a compelling message. You know, voters want to ensure that they're taken care of, that their issues are, are prioritized and that there's a vision for the future. Um, so I think there's you're going to be looking at kind of that that kind of dynamic uh, from from the poor government and assessing how this federal election went. I don't know if you saw there was a, a study that CBC did a couple of days ago about this and say you know is this going to translate into success or failure? Because as you know, some analysts are looking and say, boy, the, the Conservatives did not do that well in Ontario. Uh, does that mean Doug Ford's in trouble? And conversely, the Liberals did really well. Does that mean Stephen Del Duca's provincial Liberals are going to do really well? Uh, and, and these are the spinsters. I, I understand that you know, from all three political parties. They said, oh yeah, because the, they always want to put a positive spin on, on whatever they're doing here. But I think you're right. History shows us that it. Does doesn't necessarily translate into this uh, and you know just because somebody voted liberal federally does not necessarily mean they're going to vote liberal provincially in a situation like this uh, and it's 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 going to be interesting to see just how this shakes down and where people's uh, ideas are and, and to your point uh, you know looking to say okay what can we learn what can the Ford administration learn from this uh, probably it, it, there's a very strong argument to be made that, that the daycare program was probably the main issue for an awful lot of people here in Ontario especially in the the 416 and 905 area uh, so it, it was interesting that he mentioned that yesterday uh, the for, the premier did uh, as one of the priorities that he wanted to get to right away because clearly there's a there's an appetite for that here in Ontario and and working with the feds to make something like that happen is only going to help his situation I would think yeah, and I think, you know, a key thing is, you know, the, the average Ontario voter is more in that kind of center on the political spectrum. Uh, this is, you know, a bit of a liberal area. And, you know, one of the things that Doug Ford is doing with the, you know, the child care and talking about mandatory vaccines, these are very popular policies and very, like, in demand uh, by the electric in, in Ontario. This is kind of going to eat the lunch of the NDP right now. Like, you know, we haven't talked about the NDP once in this, and they're the official opposition in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's a very... Uh, telling thing that they are not part of this kind of general discourse. Uh, they don't have a you know a, a place where people understand. Hey, if I vote NDP, I'm going to get this. They're kind of all over the place right now in terms of where do where where can I find the NDP policy that that resonates with voters? And right now, Doug Ford is is kind of moderating himself and trying to pull in some of those voters who are maybe sway, saying, you know what, I gave you a shot, but now I'm I'm, I'm, dis- I'm feeling disenfranchised. And I may be feeling disenfranchised by the NDP, you know. So the elections matter in the sense that the Liberals, who have, you know, seven seats, uh, they go, they're going to throw everything in the kitchen sink out there, right, to to convince voters, look, look, you, you told us you weren't happy. You really put us down to the ground. We're here. We're fighting back. And where where does the NDP sign to that, you know? And where does Doug Ford able to retain some of those switched Liberal uh, Conservative voters as well? So, again, like, the, the election will, like, you know, how you campaign, what is the plan? Do you have uh, the interest of the average Ontarian voter? You know, our childcare was great. Okay, once that gets done, what's next? Uh-huh. Uh, so Doug Pro will need to kind of think through some of these pieces. What on climate change? You know, if we're you know at a point, hopefully in the near future, of true normalcy from from the pandemic, what are voters going to be thinking about? Okay, well, are the jobs back? Am I you know find good employment? Am I going to find? Am I going to be back in school normally? Am I like you know these are things that and the other issues are going to be emerging, right? <clears throat> issues around race, around social justice, around police forces. Like these are issues that will be emerging that uh, I don't think the political parties are prepared yet 
and to dis- discuss and what the Doug Ford can, you know, team is going to look at because it's good to what you've done in the past, but voters are always looking like, great, thank you for that, but I already have it now, so what are you going to do for me now? I think okay. that's where Doug Ford will have to kind of assess and make sure that he has a clear message and plan, unlike what the Aaron O'Toole government did, or party, sorry. Um, you know, they moderated, they, they made, created you know, they a very moderate platform or tried to be, but then they were very disjointed with some of the responses when you're talking about guns, you're talking about abortion, you're talking about childcare agreements, you know, what was being cut, what's being removed. You know, people want, you know, they have their position. And so can Doug Ford capture that and be clear? That will be, the, I think, the defining thing, one of the defining things for him uh, in his bid to get reelected. Yeah, I think the big takeaway, too, I know we're just about out of time here, is uh, even though the, the provincial election is until June of next year, uh, the, sh- the shape that we're in because of the, 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 the pandemic and COVID is, is very much going to be a, a, a central theme, as it was in this past federal election, you know, where we are with vaccinations, all those related issues. Uh, you know, I think Aaron O'Toole found that out the hard way. Jason Kennedy's, Kennedy rather, is finding it out the hard way. Uh, we'll see if, uh, if Doug Ford has learned the lesson from that as well. Uh, Mohammed, always great to get your perspective on this. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having me. Take care. Muhammad Ali, who's a senior consultant at uh, Crestview Strategies. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. I want to uh, introduce you to the uh, latest, uh, newest member of parliament uh, in this last election. It took a little while, but uh, yesterday uh, they finally declared uh, the winner on Hamilton Mountain, and it is uh, newly elected MP Lisa Hepter, who joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to tackle with this. Uh, Lisa, great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us today. Well, thank you so much, Bill. Great to be here, and a uh, long time no see. I yeah, it's been a while. It's CHCH colleague back in that, the day, right? It goes when back. Yeah, it goes back a few there. years. Uh, yeah, that we worked together at CHC. I was doing the talk live show for a while there, and you, well, you were everywhere, all over the city doing your things. Let me ask you, though, that's always an interesting perspective on this. Uh, you're not new, or new to the political arena. You've covered, I don't even know how many elections you've covered over the years, but what was it like to be actually in the middle of one like this? So such a different perspective, uh, I guess. And that's exactly, I think, what was going through my head all night. Like, wow, this is the first election where I'm, I'm not covering it. I'm the candidate. And I think it was just kind of hard to get my head around because, uh, and also with COVID, it wasn't sort of a, a, a similar situation to where you'd see, you know, I remember Karina Gould's campaign. I covered that one and I was at Emma's back porch and we were like a whole crowd of people and we were watching the big screens and cheering together so it was a little different that way and then um yeah and then we had to wait a couple of days so mm-hmm. uh it, it kind of prolonged the anticipation i suppose but um yeah i feel like i have a lot of insight because i've covered so many elections and at first hand seeing it up close uh, by the way, for our London listeners, Emma's Back Porch is one of the uh, the great watering holes in Burlington, uh, and there's no better place to watch election results or anything else for that matter either. Uh, great spot. But anyway, it, it's it's a different situation, and, and as our listeners know, of course, I was on city council for nine years and went through more than a few elections myself, and uh, it's it's different being the focus of, of the questions, the Q&A, and, and, and the, the, the different things that are going on as opposed to the one who's got the microphone asking the questions. Absolutely, yep. Uh, definitely something um, to learn. There's always a lot to learn. And um, for me, what made that easier is having a really strong liberal platform to fall back on, right? I really believe in these things like $10 a day childcare and climate change and uh, affordable homes for everybody and uh, getting green jobs into Hamilton Mountain. So, you know, it's always the answer is look what we're going to do. Look what we've done already and look what we're going to do. So um, that's been helpful. What were you hearing at the doors? And, and I know you're right. This is not a, a usual election because of COVID. Every, everybody had to campaign differently. It was a different style altogether. But but you, you, you need to get that feedback. You just mentioned a couple of the key parts of the platform uh, that the Liberal Party had out there. Is, is that what people were talking to you about at the doors or do they have something else going on? Yeah, absolutely. Those were the key things. I mean, that, that's what's on everybody's mind. I mean, in addition to long-term care, I mean, we just heard there's another outbreak on the mountain. And the you know, federal government has a plan to help standardize care across the country, working in collaboration with provinces. And so I think, really, one of the best skills I bring as a journalist is this ability to build relationships and collaborate with people and collaborate with 
municipal officials and provincial officials and let's get things done. Let's, you know, get beyond the bickering and work together and make life better for people. It's uh, it's going to be a whirlwind. Uh, I've I've talked to other people that have gone through the process. The, you're heading up to Ottawa shortly for orientation and and you know your first caucus meeting and things of this nature. It's pretty exciting stuff. Uh, but you know, the, you you understand the cold realities of politics too. Is that uh, as as a newly minted MP and and a backbencher in a minority government, uh, you're going to have to do a, I guess a lot of listening uh, in the first couple of months of, of this uh, tenure of this parliament here uh, to kind of learn the ropes. I'm a good listener, I'm a good learner, <laughs> but I'm also very practiced at getting my voice heard, as you know. So I expect to uh, make myself known in Ottawa very shortly. You know, I just finished a master's degree in communications at McMaster University. Uh, yeah, I have 20 years at CHCH as a broadcaster, previous uh, experience as a newspaper reporter, uh, traveler, volunteer. So I feel like I have the skills, honestly, to uh, make a good impression from the get-go. Well, and, and how using those skills is going to be fat. And we all know your background, of course, in the communications business and what you've been doing. Uh, how do you translate that into into getting into the community, though? It's a difficult job. And one of the, the things I hear most often, especially people at the federal level, Lisa, is is they want to maintain that connection with the constituents. But, you know, you're in Ottawa for a good deal of the week. Uh, and then you've got commitments when you finally get back here. It's, you're torn in two different places. Uh, at the same time, your, your heart's in both places. Yeah, and so I think the key, absolutely, is having a really strong team in Hamilton Mountain, not just me, but the people around me and people who have helped get me here, who uh, will help make those connections and do the constituency work, like getting back to people, answering those phone calls. I really want to be an on-the-ground sort of person that is there for people. Um, knocking on doors is not new for me, right? Like, this is what we do as journalists. We talk to people. We listen to them. We try and figure out, you know, is there a solution? How do we make this happen? So, yeah, um, I think uh, these experiences will serve me well as a member of Parliament for Hamilton Mountain. I noticed that uh, in the media scrum after it was finally announced that you were the winner, uh, at least one reporter anyway asked you about the fact that you don't live in the, in the riding. Uh, did you hear about that? I, I mean, I, I was surprised at the question, but it, it seems that that always gets asked of people. Uh, I think people would be surprised at how many people don't live in, in the ridings that they represent, but they're close by, etc. Is that going to be a factor for you? I think people care that you're going to be there, and people care that you know the riding, you know the players, you know the issues. And I'm going to prove it to people. Like, I'm going to be there. You're going to see me at all the events. You're going to see me in my office. You're going to be able to reach out to me. And so I think that's what's important to people. And, uh, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to prove it in that way. And, it, I mean, the fact that you know the community and you've been in the community for so many times, I think that probably outweighs what your street address is. And I, I'm, I'm thinking most people feel the same way. There's always going to be somebody who's going to try to pick something like that and, and make it an issue. But I, I, I really don't think it's an issue with the majority of people anyway. I think it was really the only thing they had to uh, to to uh, to pin on me and to criticize me for, and uh, and I think mothers in particular will understand that your home where you sleep isn't always your choice, right? But I think Hamiltonians will see that I've chosen Hamilton from the beginning since 1999. I had a choice of internships, and I chose the Hamilton Spectator. I chose to work at CHCH for 20 years to do my master's degree at McMaster University, to invest most of, like, a lot of years volunteering at the YWCA and uh, other institutions like HHS and uh, the Living Rock and uh, countless organizations where I've uh, gotten to know the community through those organizations. Let me ask you something, Lisa. The, uh, the, there's another new MP, of course, from Hamilton area, Chad Collins, who's a longtime city councillor. You covered his work for many, many years, of course, when you were working at CH. Uh, and, of course, a veteran, Philomena Tassi, who won again, uh, is all likelihood is probably going to go into cabinet in some role once again. Do you, do you foresee a, a, a Hamilton caucus, the three of you working collaboratively? We've already been working collaboratively. Philomena Tashi is such a champion. She has been behind me 100%. I, you know, she's the reason I, one of the reasons I'm here today. And, and her record is something that I've, 
you know, explain to people is so inspiring to me. Um, sitting down with Philomena Tassi on Labor Day morning, for example, with labor leaders uh, from the building trades and hearing how she's been working with them for six years to uh, on their priorities, listening to what those priorities are. So this labor mobility tax credit, local business leaders were saying, look, we can't uh, attract people to the construction business because they have to travel in some cases 100 kilometers to their job site and they don't get compensated for that. So suddenly it doesn't make sense for them financially to go to work. So we can't get people to work. She's been working on that and finally got it into the platform and is actually making things work for people through that collaboration, through knowing the stakeholders in the community. And that's my inspiration. Absolutely. Uh, we are working together. We're Team Hamilton. And uh, I think you're going to see a lot more good things coming to this city with the attention well, that we're bringing. The first of many conversations I'm sure we're going to have over the next little while. Lisa, congratulations once again. And uh, I know you want to get back to work. I really appreciate the time today. We'll stay in touch. Thank you so much, Bill. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Lisa After, of course, the uh, new member of parliament for Hamilton Mountain, uh, along with newcomer Chad Collins. This is the Bill Kelly Show. 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML in Hamilton. I want to delve into what's going on with the announcement yesterday uh, at Queen's Park. And it had to do with the Premier uh, making an announcement about this proof of vaccination. And, and as he mentioned many, many times, uh, he, he was one of the last people to come to the party about this because he doesn't like it, didn't think it was necessary here in Ontario. Uh, clearly, the, uh, the medical officer of health and others probably convinced him otherwise. Uh, but uh, he said yesterday, again, being asked by the media about uh, the upheaval and the, some of the vitriol that's going on about this right now, uh, that, look, at this is, it's temporary, and, well, he's telling us to be patient. Let me be very clear. This is a temporary and exceptional measure, and we will only use these certificates for as long as they are needed and not one day longer. So today and the weeks ahead, it's important that each of us remain patient, especially with business owners and frontline workers implementing the vaccine certificate. They've gone through so much during this pandemic and deserve our support. As we begin this vaccine certificate, there'll be a period of learning. I want to be clear, enforcement will lead with education and will be reasonable to business owners. Well, he's asking us to be patient, and uh, as you've seen, and as we heard on the program yesterday, and, and we've seen on social media, an awful lot of people aren't being patient. I mean, they're, they're being aggressive, uh, they're, they're being vitriolic with, in their, their opposition to what's going on. What is triggering this, to, to get this kind of a reaction for but basically it was down to a public health policy. Uh, pleased to welcome back to the program to talk about this, uh, Steve Jordans, who is a professor of psychology at uh, the University of Toronto. Uh, professor, always a pleasure. Thank you for the time today. Yeah, great to be back with you today. Steve, are you surprised by the reaction that some people are, 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 are exuding right now, the, the anger, the, the, the petulance almost uh, with this, and you know, the getting their back up in situations like this? It's, it's, yeah. it's not the sort of thing you see Canadians doing very often. No, um, uh, well, it's it's not. I mean, it's such an interesting, complex situation. We are, to some extent, um, creating a second-class citizen, where you know certain citizens, because they will not do things that that the rest of us believe are appropriate actions, are going to be denied certain privileges that the rest of us are are going to be able to access. Um, that's you know, I, I can't think of it. And we usually fight social inequality, you know, every step of the way. And here we have us sort of promoting that for, as you say, the social good for, for health reasons. Um, and so it's kind of, I think, strange for a group to suddenly feel targeted in, in, in that way. And the analogy that I give that sort of, you know, makes it all make sense with me is when we had that fight with our dads about whatever and he was fighting back. And then at some point he said, you know, that's it, my house. If you ever want to drive my car again, you will live by my rules. Um, and, you know, that really, when we now feel like, okay, they have all the cards, they can do whatever, I don't know, then we're going to do one of two things. We're going to quietly back away and just accept and acquiesce, or we're going to have a tantrum. And, and I think both is happening. The tantrum is more visible. <laughs> so the people who are having the tantrum, um, it's not surprising. They're, in, they're, they're being put in a very difficult emotional situation right now, uh, and we're seeing a lot of that emotion spew forward in, in really nasty ways. 
Well, and it, it had an impact on the election, clearly. I mean, you know, well, you had one political party, the People's Party, that seemed to almost, you know, gravitate and use that as one of their key issues uh, to try to, to fuel that anger, uh, which which I guess only made a bad situation worse. But I think you, your analogy is very apt. I mean, because it was pretty obvious the government's tried to be rational about this and tried, okay, we're just going to explain, we want to convince people. And and the numbers weren't there. And and the, the debate now, I guess, is pretty much boiled down to the fact that, say, look, your government doesn't have the right to do that. Uh, and, and I think they're probably very disappointed to find out that in Canada, yeah, they kind of do. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we live in a democracy. Right? And, and when you have 80% of, of people on board and saying, yes, this is, this is the right direction, um, then you're going to have political leaders follow that direction. You know, even in the case of, of Doug Ford sort of being drug here, you know, as he, yeah. as he self-admitted, as he admits so often, um, but but somebody like him is not going to go against the will of 80% of the people uh, in a democracy, and, and nor nor should he. Uh, so yes, there, the right is there to do this kind of thing. The desire is not. You know, I, I think as as we all feel, none, none of us want to be in this position. None of us wanted to take this this sort of step. The the hope was that rational arguments would convince, but um, this this hasn't been about rational arguments. From the beginning, for a lot of the people who hold those views, they, they feel fear, they feel like there's this conspiracy, and they feel this need to fight back and this need to do something. Uh, and so we really need to fight emotion with emotion. And that's what the vaccine passport does. It says, okay, you have all that anger or whatever. You also have all these desires to be part of a you know, society and be able to do all these things. You can't have them both now. Um, you have two emotional needs. Which one are you going to are you going to focus on now? Um, and by the way, one of them is the one we think is the appropriate one to focus on. And so now we're really putting them between these two difficult emotional states. We've already seen vaccination rates go up, including first, first vaccines. So some people are acquiescing and, and doing uh, what we would hope they would do. And then we're also seeing the, the, temp, the temper tantrum side a little bit. Um, it, it'll be curious to see where those folks go, if, if they mm-hmm. end up quietly acquiescing as well, um, or if they or do, do some of them get the vaccine but keep the anger. You know, I did it, but, but I didn't want to do it. You forced me to do it. It'll, it'll be interesting, but I think we will largely, if we allow them to gracefully um, become vaccinated and if we don't feel the need to do a victory lap or anything like that in their face, then I think that's the best approach for the rest of us to look forward to say, this is what we had to do, and we're just going to get on with it, and we hope you guys are coming with it. Professor Steve Jordan, Steve, always a pleasure. Thanks so much for putting this uh, very, very tricky issue into perspective for it. appreciate the time today. Thank you, Bill. Have a great day. Take care. We'll talk again soon. Uh, and, and the debate will carry on. I think he's absolutely right. I mean, yesterday was the, the day that it all went into play, and uh, we'll just see how people are reacting. And we did hear, by the way, from the ministry later on yesterday that uh, uh, the request for vaccinations did increase uh, significantly yesterday. So we'll see if that trend continues. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. Rapid testing. It's been a very contentious issue ever since the pandemic and the, and the subsequent lockdowns have been happening all over the country. Uh, and governments seem to be vacillating a little bit about the effectiveness of it, whether or not they should be doing it. Now the kids are back to school. Should the kids be tested? Because a lot of them can't be vaccinated. Well, there is one group of uh, concerned parents in East Toronto that have hatched a plan to actually do something about this. They've created a COVID-19 rapid testing program at their children's schools. Karen Lieberman has details. When students returned to class across Ontario, parents at this East York Elementary School came up with a plan to try and keep their kids in class. Packaging up test kits and then having a designated pickup window once a week where parents come by to their porch and they do a very COVID safe exchange. A rapid antigen testing program that started with 60 students and in just two weeks ballooned to more than half the student population, done mostly from the comfort of the kitchen table. Well, it's an interesting uh, aspect of this, and uh, it's uh, gratifying, really, to see uh, some parents being proactive and taking uh, this issue bang on to try to do something about it for their kids' safety. Uh, one of those is uh, Sam Coppin. Sam is an organizer with the Earl Beanie Community Asymptomatic Testing Project. Joining us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Sam, thank you so much for the time. Great to have you with us today. 
Thanks for having me, Bill. How'd you guys get involved in this? I mean, look, we we have a tendency in in, in just you know neighborhoods, communities, etc., to say, "Oh, this is wrong." Boy, the government's got to do something about this. And we've been saying that for a long time about things like asymptomatic testing and things of this nature. But what what drove you guys, Sam, to actually say, "Okay, we'll handle this"? Then, if you guys aren't going to, well, it was really opportunity. You know, these tests are fairly expensive. I mean, anybody can buy them, but they're about three to three hundred dollars for a box of twenty five. Uh, so I found out uh, around the end of August about this organization called Stay Safe in Kitchener. Uh, they started off distributing tests to small businesses in the Waterloo region, but they also have this ambassador program where, whereby anybody who wants can basically get a box uh, for their family and friends. So I got in touch with them and I said, uh, you know, uh, you have this ambassador program, can we try a school pilot? And they were thrilled. Uh, they've been trying to get school pilots going for a long time. And we were the first group that was ready uh, to go, so they're running a pilot with us. So it was really the opportunity. The, yeah, the Stay Safe program, our listeners may be familiar with. We did talk to those guys a couple of uh, weeks ago, I guess, about this, and it was a great idea. And I know they were distributing a lot of stuff through uh, local chambers of commerce, and businesses uh, were, were pretty interested in doing that. Uh, but you know, a lot of those businesses might be 10, 12 employees or something like this. It's a, it's a much larger enterprise for what you guys are undertaking. Yeah, it's it's true, but you know, um, uh, you know. The fact is most businesses are staffed by adults uh, who are vaccinated or at least vaccine eligible, mostly vaccinated now. And uh, children are the largest group of uh, ineligible for vaccine uh, people in, in the province, and they're all vulnerable. And so we really think the focus for the testing should now be kids, kids in schools, because we think schools is very important. Uh, but we want schools to be open safely uh, as much as possible. So uh, Stay Safe is ready is ready to make a bit of a pivot to uh, community groups more widely, and uh, and we think schools is really where the emphasis should be now, especially with Delta, you know. Absolutely. But what was the, the attitude? I mean, heading back to school right now, because this is varied from school board to school board uh, and district to district uh, about how prepared, how ready the schools were for the kids that, have, you know, the concerns have been raised. And I'm sure you've heard these over the last year and a half now. Uh, have all the precautions been taken to, to maximize safety for the kids at school? Uh, was there some apprehension getting into this year, Sam? Well, of course. I mean, I think uh, we were very lucky last year. Our community is relatively privileged and has a relatively low COVID rate, but we had a few cases last year, and schools all around us had cases. Uh, we know we were coming into school this year with a higher baseline uh, rate in the population, uh, and we know that COVID is different from, from last year. Uh, uh, it's, you know, as contagious as the chickenpox, and all the um, epidemiologists were predicting that basically everybody who's not vaccinated will be infected. Uh, within six months or so. Uh, we also know the consequences for Delta can be uh, worse uh, than with the original variant. So uh, we really wanted to make sure we were doing everything possible. And, you know, ventilation is good and masking is good. Coerting is good. Doing stuff outdoors is good. Uh, but testing, we hope, would allow us to keep cases uh, from coming into the schools, right, or, or at least a big chunk of them. When we would hope that would reduce the size of outbreaks as well, uh, because we know kids can be asymptomatic. Up to 50% of kids who are infected will not have any symptoms. And so we see testing as another layer of screening, just like the screening form everybody does every morning, uh, and that will hopefully keep uh, cases out of the school, keep outbreaks uh, smaller and controlled, and keep schools uh, open for as long as we can until kids get vaccinated. Were you frustrated by the fact that the province doesn't seem to want to move in this direction? I mean, I, and I saw the comments, I'm sure you have too, from uh, uh, Dr. Keenan Moore, who is the, the chief medical officer. Uh, basically, I, I don't think he was necessarily giving this a thumbs down, but he said, look, it, uh, testing doesn't really offer any additional value. Uh, he's afraid of things like false positives, which I guess is an argument you could make for any medical test. Well, whether it's a false positive. Uh, I, I'm not a medical professional, Sam, but I, I get that. The, my feeling is that, look at anything to try to improve this and at least another layer of protection for the kids has got to be a good thing. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that's the feeling of our group. Um, you know, we have a group of organizers, not just me, and we're all sort of on the same board with this, on the same page with this. Uh, I mean, I think the province has made some noise, and Dr. Moore as well has, uh, in his press conferences, seems to be opening the door a little bit to this, uh, especially in uh, areas with very high community spread. I think it's important not just to look at community spread, it's important to look at where the cases are, and we're seeing that kids are making up a much larger share of the cases right now than they did last fall. 
uh, and the number of cases in schools is much higher than it was last fall. So I think you have to really focus on the susceptible, vulnerable population, which is uh, kids are a big chunk of that when you're thinking about uh, what the risk reward is. In terms of false positives, that's an argument that people have made for a long time. Uh, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense to us. I mean, right now, uh, we're doing symptom-based screening, and uh, the odds of having a false positive because you have a cold or a runny nose or another viral illness uh, are probably higher than the false positive rate from these tests. The tests we're using are very specific, uh, which means they have a very low false positive rate of about 1 in 500. And what's the cost of false positives, right? The yeah, cost of false a... positives is not that high, right? If you treat this just as screening and say the kid who had the positive test stays home, it's one kid and one family, right? It's not closing down the whole classroom necessarily, though there are no real guidelines right now about how to deal with antigen positives. But the most uh, uh, least aggressive way to deal with false positives, with positives to just isolate the individual who tests positive. And that, you know, in, uh, one in 500, it's not that big, especially when you're doing that for any symptom already. Well, and from a public health standpoint, which is really, you know, the baseline of, of what you guys are doing here, if it is false positive and the child's asked to stay home for a, a couple of days, uh, you know, because they're, they're presenting symptoms, uh, that can only be a good thing, too. But even if it's not COVID, it, might, it could be something else that they're going to spread through the school. Uh, as you say, the, the, the price that's paid here is, is minimal for, if for a false positive. So I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm always skeptical about governments that, that, you know, try to poo-hoo some ideas and say, well, it's not as effective as you might want because they're afraid of the cost of them. And, and you say this is not an inexpensive exercise, but I think it's necessary. Uh, because we had this false impression, I guess, in the first wave, Sam, that, you know, well, don't worry about this thing. It's it's really ugly and it's terrible, but it doesn't have any impact on kids. We had some political leaders, I'm sure you heard them too, that was simply saying it had no impact on kids. Well, we know that's not true. And this Delta variant that we're dealing with right now seemed, is, is, is very, very uh, concerning about kids. And, and this is a race against the clock, I guess, that, that we're all looking at as parents, isn't it? That uh, we want to see this vaccination for kids moving forward, and there seems to be some giant strides in that direction. That's great. But in the meantime, you want to make sure that these the children that aren't vaccinated, which is most of them by now, especially in elementary school, uh, that they've got maximum protection. This seems like a logical step to take. Yeah, well, uh, you know, you see that uh, testing in schools is being done in other jurisdictions. It's being yeah. done in Germany, it's being done in the U.K., it's being done in the U.S. So cost-effectiveness, you know, you have to weigh the... the, the I don't know how you price out uh, a kid who has either an acute illness, like we're seeing a lot in the States, or a chronic illness, which we're seeing a lot uh, in the U.K. with long COVID. So I don't know how you price that out, uh, right? But even just in terms of the missed, uh, missed class, uh, missed education, uh, missed, uh, you know, parents having to stay at home. I mean, that's a cost you can price out too, right? So I think, you know, in terms of cost effectiveness, we really should be doing more of it. Um, you know, I think I think government really needs to take it on. You know, it's great that uh, parents in some communities can do it. And we have heard from parents in lots of other schools who are already getting going on programs like this. Uh, but, you know, there are lots of communities where the parents don't have the time or resources to organize this. And so it would be really great if government and uh, public health uh, could step up and do this, at least in, uh, you know, very high-risk areas of the province. Well, yeah, especially because those high-risk areas are the ones that probably need it most, as you might. They, they might be older neighborhoods. They might be older school buildings uh, that maybe don't offer maximum protection like some of the newer ones might because of uh, HVAC systems and things of this nature. So... Uh, you don't want to see that. We've already seen where there have been spikes in, in the number of new cases tend to be in some of those neighborhoods. And it took almost a year, I guess, for the government to get around to, the, to, to focusing on some of those those troubled spots, hot spots, as they called them. Uh, and you don't want to see that develop. I, what you guys are doing is, is proactive as opposed to being reactive. And, and you'd like to think the government can do that. On a positive note, though, uh, this, the story of what you guys are doing here, Ben, is, is spread. Uh, and I understand you're getting a lot of inquiries from other jurisdictions right now to say, hey, how, how are you guys doing this? Yeah, we have. Uh, you know, we had a Zoom call last Sunday uh, with 60 parents from other schools, uh, some, some out of province, uh, some from the GTA. Uh, I don't know off the top of my head whether any were from Hamilton, but we had some from around the GTA as well. Uh, and uh, we're getting new uh, inquiries every day. We're trying to answer all the emails. We're sharing a program design document on our website. We're talking about setting up a network for uh, all these people to talk with each other, 
figure out how to get tests, how to run a program. Uh, and it's, it's really been, uh, really been satisfying, you know. And the thing about testing your kids is you're not protecting your own kid by testing your kids. You're protecting all the other kids around them, right? And so people really want to work together. They want to feel like they can do something uh, to help keep their communities safe, which is really great. Are you concerned about supply? I, I mean, you know, as, as this picks up, I mean, even in your own circumstance, I guess, so it, at Earl Beatty, uh, this, this Stay Safe program is fabulous, but, I mean, the, you know, there's a finite number of tests that are available right now. It'd be great if all of a sudden they said, hey, there's a real run on these things. That means people are finally taking up on this. But, uh, you know, I guess, I guess the question here is how long can you continue to do this? Well, I think we're okay for the next few weeks because Stay Safe has, uh, has supplied us. Uh, in terms of rolling out to the rest of the province or even just targeted hotspots, I mean, I don't know what the situation is in terms of supply. I know the, the federal government has supplied uh, millions of tests. I think it's hard to keep track of them all because they've, many of them have gone out to small business programs. Uh, you know that in, the, in, the, in Europe, at least, they're everywhere. Uh, so uh, it's possible to increase supply. I don't know how quickly they can do it. But if there is a real challenge and if there is a real shortage, uh, you might prioritize these tests for kids uh, rather than for uh, business programs that are testing mostly uh, vaccinated or vaccine-eligible uh, adults. What's the uh, the response been within the school? I know the program's grown uh, within the student population uh, through interest by the parents. Certainly, uh, do you see that continuing to grow? I know. I know even some of the the neighboring schools have decided to jump on side with this as well. Uh, but uh, but is is the reaction to this very positive for, with the majority of parents in the school itself? Yeah, I mean, uh, we have uh, probably about half our kids signed up, as you heard from the Karen Lieberman piece. At the end. Yeah. Uh, it's still growing. Uh, we're expanding to the in-school daycare. Many schools in the province have daycares in the school, and we do as well. Um, there's, uh, mostly what we've heard is positive. Uh, we know some people, I know some people who I'm friends with, who feel like uh, you know maybe testing their kid is uh, regularly, because we're doing it twice a week, is too much of an intervention. Um, you know, some of that is uh, is true. You know, we have some toddlers who were in the program and then they you know they just couldn't do it every week so they pulled out of the program and we understand that we know uh you know it's it's, it's going to be hard for some kids uh now this isn't the brain tickler right i should say we're, we're this is a very shallow slog for adults it goes two centimeters in uh uh for kids we're using an easier technique that was developed by our hospital partner uh which is just the tongue for cheeks and just the outer part of the nostril which is a very easy swabbing technique but, you know, kids are kids, and sometimes it's hard to do them on kids. And so if, if they don't want to participate, that's fine. We understand that. Uh, we are still growing uh, inside our school, but we're still seeing these sign up. So hopefully we'll, uh, we'll get to, to most of the school uh, eventually as people uh, get used to the idea and uh, maybe, maybe understand that it's, you know, it's a little bit of a pain, but it's not that bad, and it's, it's really worth doing. Any feedback uh, from the school board itself and from, and from the staff in the school? Well, that's funny, you know. I, I, uh, we've heard of other school administrations, uh, public public school administrations, that are uh, helping out. Uh, our administration has uh, been very hands-off, I think, because they are waiting for direction from the board. Um, uh, you know, boards in general are reluctant to do things that uh, they're not necessarily told to do by public health. Public health still hasn't really decided that this is something they want to recommend. So uh, we've done this all through word of mouth, through postering, through our Facebook group. Um, you know, the administration is, is doing their own thing, and they're busy with other uh, school safety precautions uh, and, you know, running a school. Uh, but it would be nice to have uh, more support uh, um, from the school boards in general. Well, I just remember the comments that the Premier made yesterday when he was talking about the the proof of vaccination program, and he said, you know, the, the ideal situation would be to have a national program that everybody would buy into. In other words, a top-down thing that's going to be funded, et cetera. Uh, same thing applies to this, uh, the provincial standpoint. If there was a provincial directive to say this is the way we should be going in schools, uh, I'm sure you'd see a lot more cooperation and maybe a more enthusiastic cooperation uh, from the boards of education. But And I'm sure you've had this experience. I, I know when I talk to the boards in, in London, Middlesex, or I was listening at CFPL and in, here in Hamilton, uh, the boards are kind of reluctant to get involved in this because they're, they're 
they're in swimming in red ink right now as it is, and they're afraid to undertake anything, even though they may actually think it's a pretty good idea. They'd, again, be looking to the ministry for some support here, and that hasn't been forthcoming yet. Yeah, I mean, the great thing about this program is, you know, uh, as I said, we're parents, we're doing it. Uh, it's, there's, uh, the tests come, are funded through, through, ultimately through the federal government, where we get them from Stay Safe. Um, so there's not a lot of cost. Uh, and we have a great reporting partnership from our local hospital, Michael Guerin Hospital, who uh, records all the positive tests and does uh, some a little bit of follow-up. They already manage the PCR tests, so it's just an extension of their test management role. So I think there are partnerships that are possible. Uh, I, I don't think, uh, you know, we're doing the tests at home, so the parents do it. You don't need staff to do the tests. But again, you know, you have to think about how is this going to work in every community, uh, especially the higher-risk communities. Uh, do parents have the time to take it on, or do we need some more formal support, whether it's from boards, uh, from the government, from the local community organizations that are working in the neighborhood? Uh, I don't know. There's multiple models uh, that could be set up, public health could take it on. Uh, but I think, uh, we're, you know, as you said, we're kind of running out of time, right? We have a very short mm-hmm. window. Uh, we want to keep kids safe uh, from Delta. We want to keep schools open. Uh, and really, it's time limited because vaccines are coming. Maybe it's a few months. We're not sure exactly. Uh, but the expense uh, is time limited, so it's not enough millions of dollars. And hopefully, uh, everyone will be vaccinated, and we won't have to worry about this in a few months. Uh, you mentioned a web page, and uh, some listeners right now are probably thinking, hey, we wouldn't mind uh, getting some information about this and maybe trying it in their particular school. How can they get the information from you? Well, our website is uh, EBCAT. Org, so EBCAT for Earl Beattie, Community Asymptomatic Testing.org. And we have, uh, you can contact us through the website. You can read about our program. And if you want to start something up, uh, please feel free to get in touch and we'll help you as much as we can. Sam, thank you so much uh, for the time today, and thank you so much uh, for you on behalf of everyone here for the great work that you guys are doing. It's uh, it's great to see uh, people that are getting proactive about this and simply saying, look, at, we we got to do this for the kids. And uh, I'm hoping that other people are going to jump on board and be kind of nice down the road to get the, the government involved in it too, but we'll save that discussion for another day. Thanks so much. Uh, stay well, and uh, we'll stay in touch and see how this develops. Well, thanks for having me, and I thank my team. We're a real team project, and we're great work. Thanks. Okay, Sam Coppin, who is the organizer with the Earl Beattie Community Asymptomatic Testing Project. Just take the uh, first letter of each one of those names, of those words there, and uh, the .org, and you get all the information you want. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.